It is the Greg Evans Show, and we are live. Episode number one. I'm talking today instead of writing. The new article will be out soon. We'll discuss that a little bit later, possibly, unless we run out of time. Though, it's on the menu. So I just want to thank everybody for listening. It's good to have you. And I want to tell you a little story. I think people would find a little find amusing. Driving home from the store the other day, went out, got my quinoa, my salmon, beans, veggies, you know, annoying health freak. Scanning through the radio, and then that voice comes over the airways. That familiar voice. Girls just want to have fun. Cindy Lauper, megastar. <clears throat> great, great voice, you know, uh, an icon in the pop industry. And she and I had a, had a small run-in a few years ago. Many years ago. But every time I hear her voice, every time I see her on a commercial, it brings me back. Those were good times. 1996, 97, I was a senior in high school, and my high school had this really cool program where you'd spend like half the year uh, just doing regular schoolwork, and then you'd spend the second half doing an internship, you know, of whatever it is that you might want to pursue as a career. It was kind of like the Montessori schools, I guess that is sort of how they do, how they operate nowadays. And my my internship was with Epic Records, Sony Music, and I landed that gig because a neighbor on our street was like a vice president of promotions or marketing. <clears throat> it's a guy, John Belos. He's huge in the music industry. I think this year. He received like the Lifetime Achievement Award from Atlantic Records, and then he'd worked at Warner Brothers, whatever it was. I mean, he's you know he's a big shot, and uh, so he let me go and intern with him. And you know, I did all the grunt work and got to do a lot of other cool stuff. Had access to like the Slush Pile, uh, sent the Indigo Girls their guitars, and you know, dealt with radio stations and did all kinds of cool stuff. One day, I'm out, I'm just doing whatever I was doing. And he calls me to his office. You know, get out of there! <laughs> and I'm like, hey, hey. He's like, all right. So here's the deal. Susie, his secretary, Susan Steiner, yoga master out of Hoboken, New Jersey. Now, if anyone does yoga, wants to do yoga, she's the one you want to go to. Anyway. He calls me and he's like, all right, man, you're going to be answering the phones. You can't screw this up. Okay. This is a big deal. A lot of important people call. You have to get their name. You have to get their number and you have to get their message. Do not screw this up. I got it. You know, I got it. I can do this. Come on. Now listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I want you to get their names, and every single person that calls, I want you to get their spelling of their name. 
get their phone number, read it back to them, write it all down. I get a lot of calls. It has to be right. Right? I said it like 10 times. <clears throat> you know, I'm a typical product of the 1980s, 90s, ADD to the core. You know, dyslexia, clumsy, you name it. I fit the bill. So he probably knew that. And uh, <clears throat> so I'm sitting there and I'm taking calls and you know, doing the, and they got a lot of them. I mean, every three seconds there was a call. I'm writing the names down, taking messages. At one point, phone rings and it's getting routine. And uh, I answer, hi, uh, you know, John Bullis's office. Uh, how can I help you? Is John there? No, no, John's not here. Okay, Is Susie there? No, she had to go out, whatever. All right, well, I need to talk to him, so you need to let him know that I call. Sure, ma'am, sure. What's your name? Cindy Lopper. All right. Can you spell that for me? Silence. <laughs> ma'am? Excuse me? Can you spell your name for me, ma'am? You don't know who I am? Um, I just need you to spell your name, ma'am. Silence. You know, at this point, I'm starting to think like, you know, what is this? Is you know, I, I, I knew his wife. You know, I knew I knew the family. All right, kind of thrown off here a little bit, off my game, rattled. And then she's like, "Who is this? <laughs> this is Greg, the intern." Click. <laughs> Now, mind you, there's like posters probably every five feet in this entire building at 555, you know, uh, Madison Avenue, 550 Madison Avenue, whatever it was, I forget the address, zillion floors of Epic Records, Sony Music, 550 Music, Cyndi Lauper's picture is everywhere. Her gold records, her platinum records, her CDs, her everything, you know, she was like their biggest selling artist of all time up to you know to date at that time or pretty close to it and i just had a major brain fart it just did not sink in and so i'm sitting there even then it still didn't sink in until afterwards and when everybody learned about this and they laughed and they laughed oh my god you know, I think I was known then throughout the entire building at that point as Sydney Lopper guy. You know, that schmuck, you know. <laughs> so there's another time <clears throat> I'm working at this this insane office, gold record, you know, records on the walls, you know, artists coming in and everything. And John's like, oh, yeah, I need you to run this package upstairs to Matola's office, Tommy Matola. The Napoleon of Sony Music. This guy ran the country. Okay, he 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 rocked it. He was married, I think, to Mariah Carey at the time, maybe dating her. <clears throat> and uh, he was the he, and he ran it with an iron fist. This you know absolute control. You know, rich, powerful. 
very interesting lifestyle, right? So I go up to his office. He's up on one of the floors. Get off. The secretary's there. You know, you know, she. I can tell she knew. I'm like, hey, I have this package. I need to give to Matola. All right, go stick it on his desk. Really? You know? Yeah. I go stick it on his desk. I walk up to the door. I look in. This office is huge. Huge window, four to you know, four to ceiling windows. You can see the entire city in like three directions. It was amazing. Um, And I look across, kind of directly across from the door, and there's like a white grand piano. I was like, whoa. Middle of the floor, polar bear rug, head, claws, like the thing was skinned yesterday. It was perfectly white like fresh fallen snow and then all the way in the distance to my left I could see this humongous desk this gigantic desk and I'm walking across you know I'm walking through this uh, this office on the spit shine floor I walk around the rug I did not dare step on it and leave like some grungy van sneaker impression and I get to the desk, and it's huge. And I, I stretch, I leap, and I jump, and leave the package up on the top of the desk. And I remember standing there, and I was like, you know, Tommy Matola is not a big man. He's, he's rather, rather small. And I wanted so bad to walk around this desk and see if there's like an elevator or an escalator that went up to his, his throne that he could overlook. The meetings, you know, the. Poor bastards that had to go and sit before me in these cutthroat meetings. But I didn't. I was too scared that he'd come in right when I was like snooping around. What are you doing here? Uh, I'm just dropping you a package off, sir. And then feed me to his rug, you know. So I quickly threw the package up on his desk and I ran to the door again around the rug, conscious not to step on it. And as I'm leaving, the secretary's there, and there's another lady, and they're like, psh, 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 Cindy Lauper, psh, psh. And I hurried to the golden elevator, and down I went, back to my, back to my work. It was, it was an awesome place to work. And at the end of this whole thing, I gave, like, this presentation, uh, you know, to the, to the class, and people were like, wow, they were all over it. It was really cool. Played a couple of videos and yeah, brought some. Uh, oh, I had I, I was able to acquire the Incubus demo tape, which I still have, which was pretty cool in the slush pile. And <clears throat> they had just kind of started to get big, and I heard a buzz about them, which is why I kept it because. John was like, hey, you know, you can, if you see any of the CDs or tapes or anything you want. Back then we had cassette tapes. 90% of you don't even know what that is. He's like, just, you know, take it home. I would stuff my bag so full of CDs. I still haven't even opened all of them yet. You know, stickers, CDs, tapes. It it was awesome. It was the coolest job in the world. <clears throat> and uh, I'd show up, you know, I'd 
I'd get there. I, I used to wear like this fedora, and uh, I love to walk around and look at all the records. And one day he he was like, "Hey, we we have a meeting." Yeah, <clears throat> I'm like, "Oh, my first business meeting." We go downstairs, and it was in the cafeteria. Sitting there, these three prepubescent children, like kids. I mean, a few years younger than me. And I'm looking at them, t-shirts and uh, kind of greasy looking with accents. And I recognized the blonde one with the eyeshadow, black nail polish. And it was the dude from Silverchair. It was the band Silverchair. They had a show at like the Palladium or someplace. <clears throat> and I remember sitting there and they were discussing a lot of stuff. And then they started talking about what they wanted, what kind of food they wanted. And they're rattling off this stuff, you know candy and pizza and you know shrimp or whatever whatever they were at you know it was a lot of stuff and I was thinking you've got this is unbelievable you know I should be a rock star of course I didn't have the uh, talent or the confidence to, to ever become a rock star nor the edge you know I was like this soft kind of dorky kid <clears throat> these guys you know they 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 were able to walk the walk. They kind of had the swagger. And uh, and it was amazing they, to have that kind of pull. Where, yeah, yeah, get me a 400 uh, Reese's. Okay. It'll be there. You know, I loved it. It was awesome. So that was a very cool job. And it was my first kind of stint in the... In the, in the world of entertainment, it wouldn't be the last. I had a few other cool gigs. And, um, well, I guess I could talk about... It, that was my... That kind of got me interested. I remember uh, the second one, you know, after school, after uh, uh, high school, I went uh, first for a year at, to Manhattan College in, in uh, Riverdale, and then the Bronx. And... Um, my sister, now I can't remember if I was at Manhattan College or I'd already transferred to NYU by that point, but my sister had an interview with MTV, which is pretty cool. I don't remember, she was like kind of nervous and wanted me to go with her and sit with her. And uh, I, I can't remember the details of the conversation, but anyway, I ended up up there, up in Times Square. She had her interview. I'm sitting out in the in, in in the lobby waiting for her to finish in my ripped jeans and my ripped sweater and my scraggly hair, bags under my eyes from another night of playing uh, punk rock acoustic guitar, <laughs> you know, <laughs> complete train wreck. I'm sitting there reading a magazine. She comes out. The lady who interviews her comes out. She looks over at me and she's like, hey. I'm like, yeah. She's like, I like your look. I'm like, right on. She's like, you want to work here too? I was like, yeah, sure. That's how I got into MTV. By accident. Being in the right place at the right time. Because my sister had an interview, you know. And uh, that would that that job would be another wild experience. Got to do some commercials for the for MTV. Got to see myself on TV, 
and got to get recognized in Times Square because some teenagers, some teenage girls, pretty ones, saw me and wanted to take pictures. It was awesome. And um, anyway, the the world of entertainment was <clears throat> was something that I the world of media. Let's let's put it. Let's say the world of the media aspect of it was something that I would always kind of fall into time and time again. The business that was just that was taking a wrong turn. One day I'm going to do a show on that, so people can fully understand the long and tumultuous journey from 17 to my 30s nowadays today so it's amazing what you start to remember when you get triggered by like a song or a book or even a food you eat something that you'd had in like a you know like a couscous it'll take you back to like that time in North Africa, Morocco, or wherever. I was in, uh, we were in Morocco in Fez. <laughs> and um, running around, carrying on, <clears throat> being as much of a tourist as we could possibly be, pissing off the locals. And at some point, it was during one of their holidays, and we uh, got on their bad side. And they had... <laughs> They like surrounded us in a bazaar, threatened to like debowel us. It was probably the most terrifying <laughs> uh, trip we've ever been on. And uh, every now and then, and that was couscous. Yeah, I'd forgotten. It was like a repressed memory. I was eating couscous one day in this little haunt on Fifth uh, Street over on the east side, lower Manhattan. <clears throat> And it all came back to me, and I sat down and I wrote it out because I was like, "Oh, I cannot forget this." You know, it's one of those campfire stories. And uh, I remember we were—it we, was me, my sister, my two sisters, my mother, my aunt, my cousins. Two of my cousins or three of them, and we had gone over there. We'd sailed across the Strait of Gibraltar from Spain. We we're visiting my cousin who was studying at the University of Sevilla. That's what it was. We sailed across Gibraltar to Tangier and then <clears throat> traveled around Morocco, broke down a couple times, stranded on the side of the desert road, um, having to like uh, pee in a mint plantation one day you know, at some point because we couldn't get to a bath. Oh, it was, it was crazy being on the road. You know, the, the experiences the adventures that you collect. It's endearing, for sure. It makes you want to travel or not travel, whichever way you want to look at it. My mom was a globetrotter, still is. She took us all over the world. And, uh, you know, we saw we saw the... Uh, it was not five-star hotels. It was living with the people, which was, you know, insanely interesting. And we're in we're in this uh, bazaar, and we're surrounded by all these people. And we had this guy, and he tried to run away. And my cousin had like grabbed them and pretty much said, "Listen, if we're gonna die, you're dying with us." The guy was terrified. No more than us, I don't think. And like the parting of the Red Sea, I will never forget this guy wearing black and red, like a, you know the robe with the turban, 
He's coming through. And he turns, he faces this angry mob that wants to literally stone us to death. And he talks them down. And after a few minutes, one by one, they start walking away. And, uh, and we survived that, that, that trip. There would be a few close calls over the years and various uh, <clears throat> rougher neighborhoods of countries and cities. We probably should have been a little bit more careful. But nonetheless, we, we, we made it out of that and all the other ones. Fairly unscathed, a few mental scars. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, it's all, all of that. Every, everything, it hits you like a freight train from like a Cindy Lauper song. Brings it all back down. I'm working on an article for, uh, for the paper, for the Masakon Messenger www.mazmessenger.com M-A-Z-M-E-S-S-E-N-G-E-R about surfing. Who doesn't love surfing? I don't surf. I just like to watch it. I like to read about it. And I found a, an interesting topic to which I, uh, I think if you're into surfing, you, you, you should definitely check out. It's pretty cool. But one thing that I noticed while I was reading about surfing, which I didn't know at first, and, I, and the reason why I don't surf is because I'm absolutely 100% terrified of sharks. It's, it must have been the movie Jaws that did it to me. It just, I couldn't, I could never get it, the image of those people being eaten by a mechanical shark out of my head. Normally, like horror movies, I can watch any horror movie. Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Leprechaun, uh, Hellraiser, whatever. All of them. All the Stephen King ones. I don't, they don't, I don't have, I, I don't <clears throat> relate it to reality like most people do. It's just a movie. It's fun. I enjoy it. Scream. I remember the people were terrified of screen, you know, the screen mask after that for, for years. They probably still are. <clears throat> I remember we went and watched it in the theater and um, went home. My sisters were terrified. So I ran down to my friend's house, one house away, and I did the call, you know. <laughs> and they were, at, they were bent, bent out of shape. My mom was so mad at me. How can you take your little sister to see a movie like that? No, she'll live. It's all good fun. And uh, so the movie Jaws, though, that was that was one that got to me. And to this day, I won't go past my knees in the ocean. I love the smell of the ocean. I love to look at it. I love to feel it on my feet. I love to collect shells. I like to fish, but I won't swim in that ocean. And nowadays, they have that shark tracking software where they, uh, they, they, they attach beacons to these sharks and you can track them and you see how close these great whites are to the coast, to people swimming like a few, like a hundred or so yards offshore. And you wonder, why, how is it that more people aren't eaten, aren't attacked? 
I mean, there are plenty of shark attacks, probably more than we'd like to admit. But when you see how many sharks are actually out there on this shark app, and I wish I can't remember the name of it, <clears throat> it, it makes you realize that humans aren't supposed to be in the ocean swimming wildly in the ocean. They're just not. They're, they're land lovers. They're supposed to be on land. <clears throat> for thousands of years, people have been sailing. For thousands of years, ships have been sinking. And people have been eaten by sharks. And octopuses and squids. Stung by box jellyfish. I'm terrified of the ocean. I love it. I love the ocean. But I'm terrified of it. It's a love-hate relationship. <clears throat> it's the kind of relationship that, that'll survive. The long-standing ones. It's those relationships where there's no fighting involved. Those are the ones that go sour. Hmm. The ocean and I have had our battles. I did try surfing one time, but the entire time, <clears throat> I was afraid my feet would get gnawed off. And it's not just great whites that attack you. All the other ones do too. They'll bite you. They have teeth. Stingrays. They can look at Steve Irwin. Took a stingray uh, spike to the heart. You know, these wild animals, people think they're they're pretty and you know delicate, good eating. They will kill you. 